Hi, pros, and welcome to the LO Flooring Profile Podcast. I'm Tom Kreitler, and I'm super excited to welcome you to this episode. You know, as a business owner, a manager, or an executive, you're often tasked to wear two hats, creative and analytical, right? And I don't know about you guys, but those two sides of my brain always seem to be competing. I get a great idea for a new product or a promotion. I get all excited about it. And just about that time, my analytical brain starts to kick in and point out the obvious, but not always welcome questions like, will this work? How will we measure it? Will this take away from our brand message? Can we afford it? And on and on and on. Well, my guest today runs a highly successful market research company where they've discovered with a little help from AI, their creative and analytical teams play so well together, they're achieving stunning success after success for the brands and retailers they represent. I found the interview fascinating, and I know you will too. So now, let's get to work. Jet King is the CEO of Sales Factory, based in North Carolina, Sales Factory is a highly successful brand growth agency that describes itself as a results-driven marketing company fueled by research and relentless curiosity. I love that. Welcome, Jed. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking. So in reading your bio and researching your company a bit, it sounds like you were literally born to do this work. Your dad, <laughs> George King, founded Sales Factory back in 84. And before that, I understand that he worked for Black & Decker and discovered the need for a small handheld vacuum cleaner, which, of course, we all know today as the dustbuster. So tell me about that. Well, I'll tell you the perspective as a, as a young guy, because I was a boy when that happened. But um, my father always said uh, the best way to be good at business was to pay attention to the customer. And um, the world's changed a lot. There's a lot of technology differences. But understanding the customer is an old thing that can be repeated right. time and time again. So back in the 70s, Black & Decker was trying to invent battery-operated power tools, like we know those today. But back then, the battery technology wasn't the same as it is today. So they kept making even lawnmowers and drills and things. As a kid, I could tell it didn't work very well, and I'm sure real professionals could, could tell also. But what they kept hearing was, yeah, I don't really need that because it doesn't work very well. But what I would love is a way to help clean up the little messes in my house. Right, And according to my father, he heard that for three years and then finally actually heard it. <laughs> Before he paid attention, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. They decided to go down that path. And it really, it kind of changed the industry. You know, that enabled Black & Decker to buy GE small appliances. Their whole strategy switched to owning the entire home, not just the garage. It led to DeWalt because Black & Decker had to reinvent itself to get pro users to use their tools. And if you ask people that are older than me that were around then, they'll tell you it led to probably Black & Decker eventually being bought by Stanley because they got distracted and they, and they were trying to do too many things. So it had, a, it had a lot of positives and negatives to it. But in my dad's case, he was there for the positives. And this idea of him really uh, learning to listen and learning to pay attention to the customer is sounds like what fueled Sales Factory launched in 1984 where he was really using a combination of, of qualitative metrics and, and research-driven observations of customers and of their practices to come up with sort of a new agency model. Is, is that still true today? Yeah, he, um, he definitely, you know, the, the difference in 
yesterday and today is the technology. So observation is a good word that you used, and that's what that's what he did. It's what he taught me to do. Um, I'll give you an example. I asked him one time, "Can we buy this report on on the color trends coming uh, next year?" And he said, "No." He said, "Go go to the Gap and look at the T-shirts. Those are the colors that are hot, right?" Huh. So that that's a, wow. that's a very wise <laughs> approach, right? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, me being a smarty pants that went to college, wanted to show my dad I knew better, but he was right. Um, so, <laughs> so the primary difference between yesterday and today is we have all sorts of analytics capabilities that you know the internet uh, brought to us, and we can do you know large numbers of interviews uh, through panel research and quantify things that we couldn't do before. So before we we observe things, we'd make hypotheses and we would go. Now we observe create hypotheses, test those hypotheses, and go. It's interesting because there's always this sort of left brain, right brain uh, sort of tug and push and tug between the creative side and the analytical side. It sounds to me like you've been able to take the both the, the best of both aspects of, of this important information and combine them to create growth for the brands you represent. Yeah, that's definitely true. And that's not in me, the person. I'm analytical. Yeah, I was going to I was going to ask you about that. You said you were a smarty pants. I see you went to school for engineering. But that, that's <laughs> yeah. great because engineering, it trains your mind, right? I mean, it it doesn't yeah. mean you're going to be a particular type of engineer, but you learn to think in a way in a way that's that's very, very useful. Yeah. And, and I will I'll give my father credit. My dad, I always say my dad was the last guy that didn't go to college and became an executive in the country. Um, he did not <laughs> go to college, but he was unbelievably good at left and right brain uh, things. And, and uh, an example from today, somebody said, are we doing a holiday card? And I said, well, let's do a holiday card, but let's do it like my dad did it. My dad would paint a painting, use the painting and make a print, make that the card, and then he'd write a poem. And the team was like, he could do that? <laughs> I was like, yes, he could. <laughs> he was great at it. You know, uh, and we have people that can do that on staff, but he could do both. Which is which is quite remarkable, and um, and so what I've had to do, and, and it took me a while to learn this. I've had to surround myself with people that can do both analytical and and creative thinking. And once we figured that out, our business got a lot better. Well, speaking of combining analytical and creative, you created the home retail monitor, and as it sounds to me like sort of a a solution to what was happening in the country a couple of years back when we were in the midst of the the pandemic. Uh, asking yourself. You know, where are we, where are we going, and, and what can we do to get there? And this home retail monitor is just a brilliant piece of research. Every, I guess it's every two weeks you come out with another edition of this. Uh, tell us about how this all came together, because I probably didn't do it justice, but I'm very impressed with the data you're sharing. So um, my, my personal experience with the pandemic was I was at the ACC basketball tournament and getting ready to walk in, and people were walking the other way, and they said it's been canceled. And I remember going, huh, this is real, right? Um, you know, in North Carolina, <laughs> you don't cancel yeah. ACC tournaments. Um, and so, now it's serious. <laughs> right, very serious. So, you know, we we were set for a practice uh, work from home day that Monday anyway. So we just, that went, became permanent. We lost about half our business in two weeks. And I, I remember something uh, that my mother taught me. And that was when 9-11 happened, um, and I had, you know, my, my daughter was a baby, and I was scared, and everybody was scared. I asked her what the, I should do, and she said, do, be a good American and demonstrate what being a good American is. So that, that rang in my head when this happened, because it was kind of the 
next biggest tragic thing in my adult life um, that was outside of family things. And so we sat around and like, what should we do? And, and we decided as a team, we wanted to study consumer behavior because it was unbelievably different. Right. It changed immediately. Yeah. And so the, orig- the original plan was we we're going to do it through April because we were pretty sure it was going to be over by April. Right? <laughs> yeah. and, um, and so, so here's what we know. But we got so used to having this, uh, this data set and the ability to understand consumers in almost real time that it became, you know, something we, we wanted to keep doing. So, so we keep doing it. We share it with people for free to help them with their business. And it, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, even, even right now, people are, you know, we all, we all said there's going to be a new normal and nobody's ever going back to stores because we all know how to shop online. Well, that's not true. Right. right. And our, and our data, our data has, has shown that. You're tracking consumer behavior through, you know, a time when there's just been a lot of movement and a lot of shakeup and a lot of changes that, you know, I can't imagine any other uh, time in recent history except for maybe, you know, during the wars and in particular World War II where, where behavior changed so drastically because of, an, of a world event like that. And you're right there at the forefront reporting on it in, in a way that is very useful to so many of us that are in the business of being in business. Yeah, it's it's you know I'm not old enough to remember World War II, but he. Um, Neither am I, by the way. But I'm just I'm speculating that you. What kind of what other world event? I mean, you mentioned 9/11, of course, but what other world event changed everything about how we live and work and shop as Americans more than something like that? Yeah, and no, I think in the United States you're right because you know we even in all the recessions that you and I have lived through, um, there there were short lived and fairly easy to understand. And this one is, is not even like, uh, today, you know, uh, in the last week, inflation seems to be slowing. Um, I'm being careful on that because when people hear that, they say, Oh, it's the prices are dropping. No, they're not dropping. They're climbing less. The election went totally different than all the polls said it would. You've got Walmart, Home Depot and Lowe's putting up pretty solid numbers and target putting up bad numbers and Amazon putting up bad numbers. So what, what is all of that? Trying to understand that is, I mean, that's just one week. That was one week I just went there. So being able to keep up with that and help our clients' brands uh, grow, I mean, that's, it's, it's definitely uh, much faster paced and different than it was even, you know, three years ago. It's constantly a moving target, huh? Yep, it is. It is. Now, a lot of agencies are, are focused heavily on, on creative versus the analytics, but you took really a distinctly different approach by using that data to, to, to drive the creative and, and in fact, have sort of split your company up into almost 50-50 between, between the designers and, and, the, and the analysts. Can, can you talk about how that all kind of comes together for you? Yeah. Um, our creative director, who I was talking to earlier today, Vicki Canada, she, I'll tell you how she summed it up for me. Uh, when we first started working together, I said, you know, I want to make sure you really want to work with me because I'm going to, I'm going to put guardrails on your creative. And um, I'm going to say, you got to be in this space because the customer cares about these three things. And she said, I've been waiting for that my whole career. I can do way better work if you tell me where to play than if you just say, here's a blank sheet of paper. And so she, she's done a good job of helping us build that part of our business up, uh, you know, with designers and writers and, and content creators. Um, and that's just the way we are. So another fellow I work with, Rick McCarthy, who actually worked at Black & Decker and knew of my dad's work, he says, you know, we, we do better research than most research companies because we, ha- we're, we have to live with it and use it. 
So we're very careful to make sure it's great. We don't just go, here's the research, see you later. So I think the combination of those two things helps. Well, and I looked at your revenue model. You actually are, are you putting your money where your mouth is in, in terms of how you're working with a lot of your customers and, and basically setting those goals and only being compensated when those goals are reached. Yeah, we have a scoreboard in our office. It's like a high school basketball scoreboard. We keep a win and loss record. Our, our record's a little over 90% win. And um, and our whole company, including our employees, are compensated based on those wins. And so the whole the whole culture is around making sure the customer grows their business in the ways that they want. And um, and and that's that's different because we're not rewarding our employees for us growing. We reward them for the brands we work on growing. And that that focus actually makes sure we grow. So it it, it does it does end up in growth in our company, but because they're focused on the client. Talking to Jed King. Jed is the CEO of Sales Factory. And Jed, you mentioned earlier that technology is playing a, a real big role now in how you're able to collect and analyze this data. You said that AI is accelerating so fast you can actually do more work, I guess, in, in less time than ever before. Can you give us some examples of, of how you're using that in your business? Yeah. Um, AI is, is amazing. So you couple all the change that's happening with the consumer, and then you add in AI and how we can target and do things differently. It's really quite amazing. So a, a very, very simple example is uh, we used to create an ad, and we'd get a photograph, a headline, and some copy. Now what we do is we still do that, except we create 100 photographs, 100 headlines, and 100 pieces of body copy. And we let you know artificial intelligence pair all those things, serve up the ads, all paired in a gazillion different ways, and then tell us what's working best with which audience. <laughs> and that that allows us to not only, because each audience is different, like we, we use a lot of behavioral segmentation, so each segment of the audience cares about different things. Some people, like an easy example, you know, some people buy cars because they want really good fuel economy, some people buy cars because they want it to be fast. Right there, so the messaging is is totally different for those people. But this allows us to dynamically serve up all the different permutations um, and optimize, but also learn because you're it becomes a, a version of marketing research through the analytics side um, that tells you that this group really likes this message. And then you back to what Vicky said, you give that back to the creative team that knowledge and say, you know, do more of this, and that that helps them get better also. It's proof of concept. You, you basically know what works before you really set out to create the, the bulk of the creative that's going to tell the story. Yeah, and, and to give you a, a number, because I think to me this number is fascinating, we, we optimize forty to 50,000 times a month right? on one campaign. And we might run a dozen campaigns for one brand. So you think about how big those numbers get and how fast they get. That would have taken us years and an army of people before uh, machine learning. So how is AI making those decisions on what is the best ad, for example? Are, are there human surveys involved in that, or is it all machine learning based on all the other experiences that you've put in front of the, of the, of the machine? So we start with uh, using you know, surveys that go to actual uh, consumers, people, and pros, both. And, um, and then we use mathematical modeling like cluster analysis to to figure out what the what the most sensible groupings of those people are and what they care about generally. Once we know that, we can then um, apply ideas, you know, creative ideas against that, and and then that's when the AI kicks in. So we we already have a good idea of what these people care about, but you're talking about putting a a fine 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 point 
on it once you once you let the AI go. And we and we're seeing we're seeing response rates that are double what they were a couple of years ago. And um, and so I think it's a combination because you know it, there's a lot of AI platforms out there, so we're not the only ones that are doing some of this. But I think it's a combination of understanding the consumer by talking to them the old-fashioned way, doing actual uh, quantitative marketing research, combining that with good creators that know how to use it, and then using AI to, to fine-tune it. <laughs> we're, I'll give you an example. We're doing a test for a uh, customer right now in four markets, and we're seeing in those four markets retail sales increasing from anywhere from 28 to over 50% in those markets. And it's purely because we're just, we're doing that. Um, and so, so it, it works, it works to not only increase the, the advertising metrics, which don't really matter impressions and things like that, but it's working on sell through also. It's fantastic. And also fascinating. Are you ever surprised at the results of the AI? I mean, for me, you know, I, I'll do very basic AB testing. And for example, if I send in a newsletter and I have three different subject lines, and I have the one that I'm real sure people are going to be most interested in, and it turns out I'm real wrong. <laughs> you know, so what do I know, having done this for all these years? Do you often look at you know, a group of uh, things you're testing, a group of ads, for example, and say, hey, I think this is really good, and I think this is what people are going to want, and you're completely off? Oh, I'm off all the time. Uh, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> that makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> the, the, we did, we did a, in a, 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 I don't know if I'm supposed to share brand names or not, but a, a really well-known tool brand we work for. And the team presented me with their ideas, and I, I thought the ideas are terrible. And it was the best campaign we've ever done for them. So, so, <laughs> I mean, so I'm not the target audience. Yeah, we always have to remember that, right? So, since we're speaking to a lot of folks that are in the home building, remodeling, design, decor spaces out there, home maintenance, home repair, you did a survey back in the spring on on those topics. It was one. One of the home retail monitor surveys that you did, and uh, what did you learn? It seemed like you had some interesting findings, given where we were the the first, maybe first to second, real strong spring coming out of the pandemic. It's hard for me to parse which which home retail monitor because we do it every two weeks. But I'll 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 tell you what I think is happening right now, and hopefully that'll get you where you want to be. So the biggest yeah. the biggest thing that we're seeing that's driving behavior is trust. And um, and so I'll give you an example. Our data says that um, overall consumers are 41%. 41% of consumers overall are less trusting in brands than they were. All right, that's a big change. Now, when I tell you they're also less trusting in government, you'll go, okay, that makes sense. The only place that people are more trusting is retail. Uh, so teachers, doctors, lawyers, everybody, less trust. And then retail is more trust. And it's not by a lot, but 29% of consumers say that they trust retailers more than they used to. So what what is, to me, that is, that is an opportunity for every business to pay attention to that and think about why is that. And I'll, I'll, right. give, you, I'll give you some opinions. And I might give you more than you want, but you you can edit. <laughs> so so um, <laughs> the, uh, so you remember remember when the pandemic hit? We talked about that, and then the run on toilet paper. Do you remember that? Yes, of course. Huh? And, and so the the facts after after that happened, the facts are there was no uh, supply side problem with toilet paper. Um, people will say, well, yeah, they had to switch from office toilet paper to home toilet paper. Yeah, that's true. That took a day. All right. Um, Georgia Pacific reports that 
they, they had no issues because the forests never closed. And if you think about where paper mills are, they're in little tiny towns, and COVID didn't get to little tiny towns too much later, right? And so there was no issue. The issue was on the demand side, and, and, and I think it'll explain it perfectly. So we had you know, the CDC and Dr. Fauci and all these medical experts telling us it's really, really dangerous and, really, and, and you should be really scared. And then we had other people in government, um, including the White House, telling us it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And the consumer response to not knowing was, for whatever reason, to buy toilet paper, right? And um, and, I, and I, I did it. I did the same thing, yeah. right? And so that that is still here as, as people have become less trusting of all, of everybody. Think about all the different institutions that people are less trusting of now. That, that has remained. So the opportunity for business people and brands is – be that that positive, consistent, trustworthy person or brand, and people will gravitate to you. And so, so that's what we're seeing the most in home improvement. Our clients that are those things are growing like crazy. They're doing great. And um, and so, I think I, that's probably my biggest learning around the home improvement industry from the how to market side. I can understand that being positive, being consistent, and being trustworthy are all important values. But I mean, brands can do that as well as retailers. I'm just I'm confused as to why uh, folks are more trusting of retailers where they spend their money than brands that are trying to just tout their products. So I don't know the specific answer, but I can give you a hypothesis. Um, I believe the answer is the consumer blames the brand for price increases. That's pretty sweet if you're in the if you're in the retail business, huh? Not my fault. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, Walmart tells you they they have the lowest prices. They tell you that. So you go in there and the prices go up, that must be the must be the brand's problem, right? You know, we certainly blame all the gas the gas brands for for high prices. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and that's actually a really important point too. If you think about what's the one thing that everybody knows about, you don't have to be an economist to know. You you see those gas prices and you think this is terrible, right? <laughs> so even even now that they're down a little bit, we still feel bad about it because we remember when it was a buck ninety nine, right? So you have all that going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to home maintenance, one of the things that I read in, in one of your surveys you did over the last year is that almost half of all homeowners report that repair is needed around their homes, and one of the ways they're going to accomplish that is by being a DIYer. You got 60% of respondents planning to do home maintenance in the last year, and those numbers seem to be going up. You think, is that, uh, is that the College of YouTube <laughs> encouraging people to, to get stuff done because information is so plentiful? Yeah, I think you have a, couple, you have a lot of things. One, the information is, is readily available. Everyone can learn how to do um, even hard things like HVAC and plumbing on uh, and electrical on, on YouTube. doesn't mean they should. Right, exactly. <laughs> the other is, well, Gen X, sort of walked away from DIY as a group. Millennials look at Gen X and think, well, why, you know, they, they're responding. Why aren't they fixing their things? I can do this. Right. And, they, right. and they're behaving as a, as a giant group uh, differently, more like boomers. And so I do think that coupled with economic uncertainty is, is going to drive that. Um, and in fact, you know, looking at the retail numbers over the last couple of days, uh, there was a lot of talking heads on TV saying that, um, we're going to switch to making our homes better. 
Um, and that's going to be a trend. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, there seems to be a lot of people thinking that that's going to happen. And DIY, you can save a ton. And by the way, you don't feel like you, there's a there's a back to trust. You, if you do it yourself, you know what went into it. You, you're not worried about what it costs because you bought it. Um, you're not worried about if somebody's going to show up or not because it's you. There's a lot of benefits to DIYing that are very practical also. You know, we saw that when the pandemic first hit, when that nesting instinct kicked in and folks were starting to make those improvements to make their space. They're now spending a lot more time and a lot more comfortable. The number of of calls and emails and social media inquiries that we got on, um, I host another show called The Money Pit. It's a nationally syndicated home improvement show. It's on 400 radio stations across the nation. And we saw our call volume and our contact volume like triple just in a very short period of time because so many folks were home and they were seeking that sort of independent third party, uh, you know, expert to just sort of help them a little bit and make sure they're on the right track. And that was fascinating to us when it first started to happen. And, and it still has continued, not at those rates, but the number of people that, that are younger and taking on these projects and asking really good questions and are really doing the research, you could tell because I'm getting the questions that I've heard I can do this a method, B method, C method. Which way should I go and why? You know, they're, they're asking very qualified questions, not just how do I fix this? Yeah, I think um, it's funny. I study consumer behavior, but I'm, I, even though I have awareness of it, I'm not it, – it still, it still happens to me. So, yeah. for example, I don't like to work on electrical, but during the pandemic, my son and I rewired our whole house and made every switch smart. And my wife's response was – you've known how to do this for 25 years and you've never done it. <laughs> you've been hiding from me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, uh, it's so, uh, you know, so I think we all, we all tried things differently and that, and that's going to have an impact. You know, um, if the projects go well, they're going to, you know, we're going to do more of them. So I, I bet is your volume still up above what it was, uh, oh, yeah. in 2019? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And the station growth too. Yeah. Both across the podcast and, and, and the, the extra syndicated show. Yep. That makes sense. So if I'm a remodeler, a renovator, a home builder, we talked about the importance of being positive, being consistent, being trustworthy. Would you have any tactics to suggest for those that are in that space that are worried now you know, about slowdown based on home sales slowing down and, and that sort of thing to sort of keep themselves top of mind? If you were in that, that business, what kinds of activities might you be considering? Oh, I, I think there's still tons of upside for those people in those businesses because um, there's still not enough labor to go around. It's still hard to get somebody to help you. And if and I think if you develop that relationship right now, and 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 deliver good work, you're going to have work for as long as you want. So um, you know who who do you call? <laughs> who do you call to do a light kitchen remodel? Most people don't know the answer. And, um, or, or even, you know, any, any, any of the little services, HVAC, any of it. And so I, I think, I think, you know, if you, if you're consistent and you're, and you're, and you're good at sharing information, I think that's another thing that's often overlooked. Um, you know, don't send me a bill for $6,000 and you did 11 things. Explain to me what 11 things you did and then send me the bill for 6,000. So I feel like I have some control, um, I think is, is really important too. But just showing up and doing good work is probably 80, 90% of the bow. You're right. Just showing up and doing what you promised to do. It's kind of, it's a little sad in the way that it, it puts you actually head and shoulders ahead of the masses <laughs> than maybe ever before. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you see that also the, um, 
it's it's just old-fashioned stuff, you know? <laughs> so. Hey, I wanted to ask you about some of your favorite success stories. Um, you talked to one of our producers about a project you did in 2010 for, for Home Depot that had to do with bath fans. That, that ended up in a pretty interesting observation and learning moment for you. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of learnings that occurred on that project. We were a much smaller business. We were almost all men in the company. And we were we were way better at research than we are uh, today than we were then. So there's a lot of lots that's happened, and that was a moment in time that really helped us get there. Um, but Depot Depot asked us to come in, and they were struggling in you know a little tiny category bath fans, but you know a little category for Home Depot is you know over a hundred million dollars, so it's it's a lot of money, and uh, and they were losing to Lowe's. Lowe's had more share in bath fans than Depot did, and. You know, you know, you know about the industry. Depot's got 400 more stores. They have more pros. There's no reason they should be losing. So they they figured they had some sort of systemic problem. <laughs> so they brought us in, and me and a research team uh, worked together, and we did six rounds of research in, in under six weeks. And we had to do this iterative research because. Every time we did something, we realized we, we forgot to ask a question, and, and we would learn something else we'd want to learn more about, right. and so we kept doing yep. it. So it wasn't, it wasn't the most efficient uh, project plan. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we, well, in the beginning, we learned that brand didn't matter. Um, and I'll be nice to the incumbent brands, but they're, they sure. just don't matter. Nobody, nobody wakes up and goes, I want, a, I want an XYZ brand bath fan. Um, and so that didn't matter. We learned that the instructions weren't very good. Uh, we learned that a lot of people didn't even know what a bath fan was. You, you like you had to tell people it's a thing in the in the bathroom that takes the steam out. Oh, that thing. Yeah, I never thought about it. All right. So there's there's even though everyone has one, category awareness was pretty low. So there's these are all little things we could fix and make better. But that wasn't what mattered. What mattered was the primary use of bath fan for 67% of women was to cover up bathroom noises. And once we learned that, it really changed the entire category because bath fans back then, and still to some extent today, the really, really expensive bath fans were silent. And the really cheap bath fans, I'm talking like $400 versus 30 bucks, the $30 fans were noisy. And, and what, after we learned this, we started observing that women were buying ugly, loud, crummy fans. And once we could actually make the fan create white noise as opposed to being a rattly mess, they would go up market and buy nicer looking fans that were, that had other features. And so, so that was, that was a, that was a big giant find. And, and the learning is if you have a, if you have a team that's not diverse at all working on research, it's going to be really hard to find really good insights from people that aren't like you. So uh, we set out from that point to make sure that our company had a lot, you know, had women on our team. You know, that was a, that was a big change. So um, now we're 65% women. So that change actually worked. So that was, that was probably one of the most eye-opening, simple little observations that changed an entire category. Um, and by the way, we got paid a bonus for three years off of that work because it changed Depot's business. Jed Kig, CEO of Sales Factory. Thank you so much for being a part of the Profiles podcast. If you'd like to learn more, go to salesfactory.com, and I highly recommend that you sign up for the Home Retail Monitor. If you care about your business, if you are an observer of what is happening 
in the marketplace and in our country. You're going to learn a lot by becoming a regular consumer of the Home Retail Monitor. And if you are a brand that needs to grow, there's no better place to go than to talk with Jed King's team at Sales Factory. Jed, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, guys. Shortly after we recorded this interview with Jed, Sales Factory was named to the Inc. Best in Business list, making them one of the only 240 companies across the nation recognized for making an extraordinary impact in their fields and on society. Inc. specifically recognized their home retail monitor for helping companies navigate an endless set of challenges, including consumer response to the national elections, supply chain disruptions, the housing market, inflation, and the threat of recession. If you're not receiving the Home Retail Monitor, you can subscribe for no cost at salesfactory.com.